going to start something else a little bit new this morning um, by having some different people read scripture verses. So if you don't have a Bible, now would be a great time to flag somebody down in the aisle and grab one as we read in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 17, which is on page 810. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, um, it's good to be be honest. Um, And it's good to be back. Uh, Last week, I was uh, celebrating... um, Four days, three nights, I kidnapped my wife uh, as she celebrated 40, 40 years um, of, of life. We celebrated in the Bahamas, and I'm already losing my tan. I'm not happy about it. Uh, but it was a wonderful time of getting away and relaxing and enjoying. One of the, the, the fun nights for me was, it was towards the end of our trip, and uh, we, we had been all around the ship trying to, you know, check out the little nooks and crannies of different places. And uh, we decided that we wanted to go to the Viking Lounge. Now, the Viking Lounge is at the very top of the ship, at the back end, back by the climbing wall so we could watch people. But the neat thing about this lounge is that it was, uh, it was kind of this turret that had windows. So you could watch, uh, watch the ship as it's pulling out. You could see uh, the sunset go down into the clouds. And I'll tell you, sitting up and watching it was absolutely beautiful. Suddenly the, the clouds just broke out into you know, the, the yellows and then the oranges and then the purples and it falls down into the sea and suddenly it gets dark. And it's just one of those memories as I'm sitting watching it going, wow, God is... God is a God of art, artistry. He's doing something beautiful every day that we just don't see in a regular basis. So one of the things, as I'm working through this, this sermon today, uh, I'm hearing Jesus talk about the law. And Jesus was a very good Jewish man. He, he was born into the Jewish culture. He, he was... Uh, uh, people started regarding him as a rabbi, a teacher, somebody to follow after, someone to receive teaching. And, uh, and, and Jesus knew the Old Testament inside and out. If you even remember all the way back to when uh, he first started his ministry, he was baptized. And uh, then he went out into the desert. And in the desert, he was tempted by Satan. And time and time again, what did he do? What do you do? He quoted scripture. And it, it wasn't like he had his little handy dandy uh, pocket Old Testament in his, in his robe. 
and pulled it out and said, well, let me check the concordance real quick like Satan, because I've got to get back to you on that one. What he did off the top of his head, he said, thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. You know, the scripture says this. The scripture says this. Scripture said this. So Jesus had a very high regard for scripture. And it wasn't just because there were good men who wrote scripture. It's because he was, along with the help of the Holy Spirit, writing scripture. It was his words that we have on these pages, even from the Old Testament. And so as we read this morning, there are big chunks of Jesus saying, he, he's coming and he's speaking to the crowds. And he's saying, listen, I am giving you this new kind of teaching. And you need to hear this, that I'm not giving you anything new. I'm going to the very heart as to what the, the prophets have said. I'm going to the very heart of what Moses had to say. Your teachers, your, your seminary profs know all this kind of stuff. You listen to the scribes and the Pharisees. And they tell you this and they're able to recite and they've got all these laws and all these things. But let me tell you, they're missing it. Because at the heart of it all is me. Scripture is all about me. From all the way from Genesis, all the way through Revelation, this whole book is about me and the grace that I'm going to be offering. So Jesus starts off in verse 17 with, with just a, a reminder. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. Don't think that I've come to destroy it. Don't think that I've come to... Uh, just give you something brand new. In fact, if you look at the Greek there, it says, it really says, uh, do not even start to think. Don't even let this creep into your mind that I have come to abolish the law. Get it out of your head. I'm not giving you anything brand new. I'm giving you what is true. Don't come to think that I've come to abolish it. And in the Greek, it's, it's this word that's related to... Um, like a cataclysm. If we have a cataclysmic event, it does what? It totally comes and destroys. It decimates. And Jesus says, I haven't, I haven't come to do, to destroy the law. I haven't come to abolish it and get rid of it. I have not come to abolish them. But, in verse 17, it says, but I have come to fulfill them. I've come to fulfill them. So not only is all Scripture for Jesus absolute, not as, you know, all of Scripture is extremely important because He's the one that has breathed into it. He's the one that has come and inspired it. He's the one that has caused men in their different ways, whether through poetry, through prophecy, through uh, factual stuff that you see in the first Kings, second Kings, all that kind of stuff. He has come to fulfill it. He, he has come to say, listen, all of that, all that Old Testament was written about me and it's pointing to this moment. I've come to bring it into technicolor. I am the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament has been, been speaking about. 
Genesis is talking about creating and making something beautiful. And Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of that. Because when you place your trust in me, what happens? A new creation. Something new and beautiful. For the old is gone, but the new has come. There is new life. There is new hope. We want to talk about the kings of Israel. They're all pointing towards what? Not just historical facts, but the true king that is coming to reign. I'm it. I am the king of kings, the Lord of lords. I'm the one that, that tops them all. I am all. I am it. Jesus had a high regard for these scriptures because they were about him. So he looked at, at like Second Timothy. Uh, when we look at this, all of scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Jesus is saying, listen, Scripture is important. All of it is important. All of it. The Old Testament is extremely important. And most of the sermons that you've heard, honestly, preached about, or preached from, is from what? The New Testament. And Jesus is saying, oh no, don't, don't just focus as a New Testament church, on the New Testament. Because even the Old Testament is this beautiful story pointing towards me. You need to understand the Old Testament to really fully enjoy, love, and worship me as, Old Te- as New Testament Christians. All of Scripture is important. So here's a danger. We, we kind of have these, uh, these postmodern minds that really question and wonder whether or not all of Scripture really is God-breathed. You know, what, what do we... I, I don't... There's certain sections that we go, you know what? If I had my exacto knife, I would... I, I cut this little section out because, you know what? I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. It makes me squeamish. You know what? In fact, in our culture today... I'm not sure that Scripture really fits. So in my postmodern mind, I can really tell what color the grass was in Jerusalem some 2,000 years ago and what Jesus really meant. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. Let's not start playing the game of controlling what you think Scripture says or what should be applied or what's important what's not important. All of Scripture is God-breathed. And so for us to cut out certain sections of Scripture that we don't like, is in some sense cutting out sections of Jesus Christ that, that we're uncomfortable with. Because Jesus said, listen, I have fulfilled it. I have made it all complete. Because all the Old Testament is speaking about me. And all the New Testament is speaking about me. So we cannot cut out pieces of Scripture. We cannot say, I like this, I don't like this. Because go on, look what it says. For truly, I say to you, and, and the, the for truly section is, uh, amen. It's the truth. So whenever you say, for Jesus' sake, amen, it doesn't, it's not just a nice little, sincerely, Paul. It, what it's saying is, for Jesus' sake, this is the truth. It is true. 
And here Jesus is saying, Amen. It's the truth that I say to you. Until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. And then he, he goes in here. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, and it's the idea of holding onto a rope tightly, and you start releasing, letting loose, and just letting things slide through your hands. If you start letting loose of even the least, the, the smallest of these commandments, and say, no, nah, that's really not so important. Jesus says something. If you start letting loose and teaching others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. He's not saying that you're going to lose your salvation. But he's saying, listen, there's a certain honor that comes with being true to Scripture. Because being true to Scripture is being true to Jesus Christ. And for us, studying Scripture, the living Word of God, is critical. What place does Scripture have in your life? Is it your dusty Bible that sits on your end table that every once in a while you blow off because uh, somebody's going to be coming over? You know what I'm talking about. That's probably about 85, 90% of us. Or is it, you know, maybe you're on the worship team. It's like, okay, I've got to do a call to worship. Crack it open. You can hear, still hear the pages go. Because the, the gold is still sticking together, you know what I'm talking about? And you smell it. Still has that good book smell, the brand new book smell. And what importance does Scripture have? Because Jesus is saying, listen, you need to know this because it's about me. And for you to say, ah, that's not so important. There's consequences. But he says, but whoever does these things and teaches them will be called megas, great in the kingdom of heaven. You, you, you take these words for what they are and you say, these are God's words and I'm going to take these seriously because they speak about Jesus. They're about Jesus and I love Jesus. I want to know more about Him and this makes me uncomfortable. I don't like it. Something inside me says no, but Scripture says yes. So I, you know what? I'm putting aside the flesh. I'm going to follow closely after Jesus. I'm going to take these words for what He says and because He has my well-being, His kingdom's well-being in mind and I'm going to follow after Him. And Jesus says, you will be megas. You'll be mega in the kingdom of heaven. You will be great. And we've even here heard the well done, good and faithful servant. I have entrusted you with a little, but I'm going to put you in charge of a lot. How we treat the Word of God is critical. Even Jesus, as He's standing before the crowd saying, listen, don't even think that I'm trying to downplay the Old Testament. 
No way. Because it speaks about me. In fact, before your very eyes, I am fulfilling them. I'm it. I'm, I'm, I'm what this is all about. And then he goes on to this verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, the, the Pharisees, what they're really known as the doctors of the law, the Pharisees, believed that there were about 250 commandments that had to be followed. There were about 365 prohibitions, things that they couldn't do. And they, had, they, they were probably, in our, in our Christian, our religious world today, the OCDs of the Christian world. Obsessive, compulsive disorder when it came to religiosity. They would sit down here. They would make their, their great big chart. Okay, here's my 250 things that I'm supposed to do. Here's my 365 things that I cannot do. Walk around with them, you know, your modern day little thing here and go, okay, I can't do that. I can't be by. I can't eat. I can't do. I can't do this. I can't. Okay, but I think I can do that. And so their world started getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller to the point where it was just almost exclusive because these people, when they would walk through, they would, their eyes are always scanning the crowd and going, oh, there's a woman. There's a chance that she may be menstruating right now. So what am I going to be doing? I'm avoiding her. I'm going to the opposite direction because the law, there's a prohibition that says I cannot be near a woman who has this kind of issue. So I'm going to avoid her because I do not want to be unclean because, you know, what God says I can't do this. And they get so caught up on all these things to the point where they became exclusive. And I've been in some of those, those kind of Christian circles where you've got to wear a certain kind of dress, an attire, your car on Sunday morning is washed, but you don't do it on Sunday morning. You've got to do it on Saturday. Your car is perfectly clean for the parking lot. Your clothes, you're wearing the right clothes because you are gathering for church and that says something. And there's certain laws and prohibitions. And you walk into these communities. And eyes start checking you out going, mm, I, I'm a little scared. And Jesus is speaking to them saying, listen, unless your righteousness, your good standing, your holiness is like exceeds goes above and beyond the scribes and Pharisees, you can't get into the kingdom of heaven. And I'm sure the common everyday people are going, what? That's impossible. These people, they, they make it their life to be so exclusive. They, they, they create laws about cleanliness. 
that aren't even in Scripture. And now you're saying that our righteousness has to exceed them? And even the scribes and Pharisees are going, whoa, exceed our standard? It's impossible. And Jesus said, yeah, until your righteousness exceeds You're hopeless. There's no entry into the kingdom. Now let me back up. At the beginning, I talked about how uh, we were on the Viking Lounge looking out and seeing this beautiful sunset. Now I want you to imagine that uh, one of the workers comes up and goes up to the window. And starts chipping away at the window and brings this piece to you and says, Oh, look at this beautiful, beautiful chip. If you look carefully, you can see through. But man, let's look at the qualities of this, this piece of glass. Let's look at what's, what's all, you know, let's break it down to its molecular uh, qualities. Let's see, you know, is it, is it able to withstand a hurricane kind of wind? Let's see what it's able to do and walk away and, and miss the whole sunset and study just that, that little piece of glass. You'd be standing in the Viking lounge going, you're a retard. You have... You have totally missed. Did you see that sunset? You're an idiot. You have missed it all by looking at the glass. See, the beautiful thing about the Bible is the Bible is the window that we must look through. The Bible is the window that we must look through. And in it we see the beautiful perfect realities of Jesus Christ. The Bible is, is the, the thing by which we as human beings see God's perfect work through Jesus Christ and how He has fulfilled all things and how everything is leading up to His perfect work that is done on the cross. And you know what? Our righteousness is impossible to get into the kingdom of heaven. It is impossible by how many, whether you serve in the children's ministry, you serve in the worship team, whether you're an elder, you're going to be a deacon, you're going to be this, you're going to be that, whether you're going out and doing all these things and you're feeling good about it, you're, you're conjuring up, you've got your little tally marks and you're doing all these kind of OCD Christian kind of things. Jesus is going, you know what? Unless your spirituality exceeds the perfect person, there's no way you can get into the kingdom of heaven. Because even the sacrifices had to be done on a yearly basis. The, the sins of an entire nation had to be atoned for on a yearly basis. And they were all pointing towards something that was going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Scripture is it's this window that if we read it through the eyes of the gospel... We see Jesus. We see His work. His completed work. And we look at the book of Revelation. 
And John says, come, Lord Jesus, come. Anticipating the final thing where we don't have to look through the lens, but where we will see him face to face. And Jesus, these are hard, unbending words that he that are honestly just filled with grace. And he's just explaining in dramatic terms the impossibility of salvation apart from grace. He's saying it's impossible. There's nothing that you can do apart from grace. Which brings us back to really the ground zero of the Beatitudes. It brings us back to Matthew 5, verse 3, where he starts off and said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you realize there's nothing that you can do because your spiritual condition, your spiritual geography right now is hopeless. Your righteousness is hopeless. You need another's righteousness. And the righteousness of Christ. The thing that we need to understand and acknowledge is that there is no way but grace. Those of you who do the religiosity thing and checklist and keep score, we've got to remind ourselves that there's no way except by grace. Because Jesus says, listen, here's the hope. Here's the hope, and it's in verse 17. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them. But I have come to fulfill. I have come to bring the hope. I'm the one that makes all things come together. And this is our hope because Jesus did what we could never do. He accomplished what we could never do. He accomplished what the the Old Testament sacrifices could never fully accomplish. He fulfilled the law. His righteousness exceeded the scribes. It exceeded the Pharisees. And because He fulfilled the law, He can give us, He can impute, He can... uh, put upon us a righteousness that is not our own, that is greater than anything that the, your religious activity could ever accomplish. He fulfilled the law by leading a perfectly righteous life. And He fulfilled its demands against us by dying on the cross. That is hope. That is what we live for. And Jesus is saying, listen, you can do external activities. 
You can be involved in a church. You can get involved in these social justice kind of things. You can get involved. You can give your money here. You can give this. But what I'm looking for is a deep heart change. I'm going beyond religiosity. I'm going beyond uh, to-do lists and a little checklist. I want a heart change. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Give me a summary of the law. And he said, listen, this is it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second is exactly like it. You need to love your neighbor as yourself. Love me. Love the work that I've done for you. And you know what's going to happen? As soon as you love me and the work that I've done for you, it is going to create worshipers. It's going to create a beautiful uh, mirror image of myself. As the church leaves its gatherings, its corporate coming together, it's going to go out and it's going to scatter into the community. And hope is going to be proclaimed. The good news is going to be modeled and spoken. It's going to change the way you deal with your peers. It's going to change the way you deal with those difficult people in your life. It's going to change the way that you, be, you deal with the impossible things in your life. The absolutely impossible things. And you're going to go, Jesus, I love you, but I've got this. And he's going to go, you know what? My righteousness, my strength is going to be made perfect in your weakness. Brandon talked about pride. In this group, a size like this, there are those of us who struggle with different kinds of addictions those kind of private closet addictions, an addiction for power, for wealth, for being noticed, for being medicated. And he's saying, listen, in your weakness, I'm strong. Give it to me. Trust me more fully. Give me your life. Not your Sunday. Your all. Give me your complete life. And allow me to do the change. Because when you're poor in spirit, when you recognize your, your helplessness, and you depend fully on the work of Jesus Christ. A promise is made. For yours is the kingdom of heaven.
Jesus, I just pray this morning. That we get it. That we understand the beauty of Scripture. That it's not just this this book of texts and historical facts and nice, warm, fuzzy stories. But this is a, a picture of you. The beautiful work that you always have been doing, that you are currently doing, and that you are going to be doing in our lives. Jesus, may we rely more fully on You. May we recognize our our spiritual position and trust more fully in You. So God, I pray for, for that man, that woman, that child in the children's ministry. Lord, that as they hear this message, the good news that You have come and lived the perfect life that we could never live so that we can have the life that we could never have apart from You. Lord, that that changes them deeply. That they recognize that Your work on the cross removes the sin and the guilt and the shame Holy Spirit, would you work deeply just in these moments now to do the the work that you do of changing hearts, hard hearts, and turning them into hearts of flesh. Would you work this morning in giving us new life again by the power of the gospel. God, would you even now prepare our hearts as we move towards sharing a meal, communion, the Lord's Supper, where we celebrate as a community what You have done and what You are currently doing. And Jesus, we recognize that in these moments You are, you are with us in a special way as we celebrate Your work. Lord, would You remind us as we take the bread, Your body, and the cup, Your blood, of Your life-giving sacrifice. We pray this in Jesus' name.